0: uh matthew chapter 27 in your bibles matthew chapter 27 i appreciate all the people serving tonight um i just want to commend while you're turning there i want to commend who we call uh uh, and and really um many of you uh debbie and i've had the privilege of of knowing and and getting to know but five years just to help you out with the statistics of this Of churches that start, 95% of churches don't make it to their third, I'm sorry, 90% don't make it to their third year anniversary. So if you have 100 churches that start, 90 of them will die out, flame out, before they ever get to year number three. That is not, that's worse than restaurants. Think about that for a second. Of churches that make it to the three-year mark, over 75% of them, will close their doors before they ever get to their fifth anniversary. It's something less than 1% of churches will ever make it, depending on who you study, will ever make it to a five-year mark. And I'm excited that Hui Kala is not just around and struggling, but thriving. And that is fantastic. And those of you are like, oh, this just happens. If it was easy, everyone would do it. And it's not easy. And I'm super thankful for your pastor. But I want to acknowledge this. I love Pastor King. He's like the ugly brother in the family. Uh, he's the smart brother, no doubt about it. No doubt about it. Uh, yesterday or, or Friday when they picked us up from the airport, it was a special weekend here in Honolulu. And we went to Duke's and uh, we're walking out and our wives are with us. And he's holding Tallulah. And the lady goes, no, is this your baby? I'm like, oh. Well, well, it's, it's, there's his, and he goes, and our wives are right up there. And, and he said, just without missing a beat, he said, we're not just two really good-looking, yoked-up dudes together. We have wives. And I, tell you, I love that about your pastor. It's a man after my own heart. Uh, I thought about that. But then I thought about this, uh, and a lot has been said about Pastor King uh, today, and rightly so. It wouldn't, this church would not be here with, without the leadership, the vision, the determination, the patience, and the grace that God has given to Pastor King to make it. It also wouldn't be here if it wasn't for Angela. Let me tell you what a pastor's life is, wife's life is like, especially in the first five years. You don't have your own house, by and large, You live upstairs in a church building. Uh, We lived, our house was the church. It was a little bit different. It was worse. Um, Your husband is on call 24 hours a day, 365 days a year. And people say, well, I don't call him very often. That's how everybody feels. So that means he's always getting phone calls. And he's constantly getting calls. You are constantly sharing your husband. And then I was surprised this morning. I don't know how many of you heard it that you've not missed a service, a Sunday service in five years. How many of you think they should miss a service? Can we vote on that tonight? Baptists are congregationally run. Come on, if you agree with me, raise your hand. Like, don't be scared. This is, it's, this is, what is it? They should miss a service sometime. So I called or I texted all of our trustees at Canyon Ridge today. And Angela, this is for you. I don't care about your husband, but I care for you. all right. All right? So I called, I texted the guys at Canyon Ridge, and we started with nothing at our church, and God has blessed us immensely with a lot of different ventures that we've been able to do, and and we're super excited to be a part of of a lot of stuff. And so I said, we should send the kings on a vacation next year. Now, normally the church would take care of it, but you bought a million-dollar pulpit, so I get it. You can't do that. (laughs) Get it. I'm totally with it. So Canyon Ridge Baptist Church and Ridge City Preschool and Daycare, which I'm in charge of both of those, we want to send you guys to London next year for two weeks, just the two of you. You figure it out. If you need somebody to come and preach for you while you're gone, I know some guys who will volunteer, uh, but we want to send you there. We'll, all expenses paid. We'll take care of it all. And uh, how many of you, by a round of applause, think that that should happen? <laughs> And our trustees were jacked up about being able to help you because they thought any pastor... Here's what our church thinks. If I'm there five years without a Sunday off, they are going to leave, so... (laughs) So we'll probably see the church grow, and, and that'll be fantastic. And so our guys were just jacked about being able to help with that. And we we, we started a daycare, and, and all of the proceeds go to help missionaries. And let me tell you, this is our most exciting church plant we've ever been able to help. We're, we're stoked about it. And we know that the longevity is not just in hearing Pastor King preach another service, but it is also in every once in a while he be, and Angela being able to get some time away and... Um, Um, We could send them to a lot of beach-type places. Angela told me, we want to go to Bora Bora, and I'm like, that's boring. You live there. And so we want you to go somewhere where it rains and is cold and people get depressed and need coffee and all of those things, you know. You need Jesus in Europe, so (laughs) Hawaii is different. So if and if uh, yeah, I mean, uh, London is great. Natalie, my oldest daughter, and I went on a mission trip to Eastern uh, Europe—Romania, Serbia, Hungary—and we stopped for twelve hours in London at midnight. And so we were there, we got there, and so we we, we made it to uh, Big Ben at midnight. Let me tell you something. If you want to see all of the big things in London without a crowd, go at midnight. We saw Buckingham Palace, we saw Big Ben, Westminster Abbey, all of the cathedrals. We did it all in three hours. There wasn't a line anywhere. It was fantastic. And so you guys will have a great time. You honeymooned there and uh, you'll be able to go back and have an awesome time. Well, anyway, we're excited to be a part of that. Matthew chapter 27 in your Bibles. Why don't you stand just in honor to the word? You have been seated for a while, and we believe in our church that sitting is the new smoking, so we want to help your health by letting you stand up for a while. As we come to this passage of Scripture, uh, obviously just by the the chapter number, you see that we're at the end of the book of Matthew. Uh, Jesus Christ has been arrested Um, he has been if you will falsely accused he's been lied about and they finally found two men who have lied in agreement on the fact that Jesus uh, claimed that he would tear down the temple and build it in three days and they found that to be a capital offense which was a violation of the law it was not a capital offense but in order for Christ to be arrested and, and crucified they had to lie because he was and is perfect and sinless Christ, as we come to this text, has been beaten. He's been beaten in a horrific way that is beyond measure. He has been mocked. He has been crucified. Matter of fact, as we pick up this text of Scripture, he is hanging on the cross. They have taken him, if you know the story of the crucifixion, and they have arrested him, and they've beaten him, and they took the cat of nine tails, and, and they beat him, and, and he has no chest cavity, per se, anymore. His internal organs are all exposed. They tell us that his large and small intestine were probably hanging down to his knees if they did not wrap that in something, and the scripture says he was naked, so we make the clear assumption that he was not clothed at all, and, and you could see all of his organs. His back would have been completely not just torn up, not just cut, but you would see all of it, all of the internal organs, all of the garbage, all of the, 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 the vital organs are exposed. He would have been bleeding profusely. They took him... Outside the city of Jerusalem, and one of the marks as you would walk out to be crucified is that they would make you bear the cross member that you were going to be hung on. And the reason that they would make you bear the cross member is because they wanted you to picture or symbolize that you were paying the weight for your own sin. So everybody in Roman government who was under the Roman rule who was going to be crucified had to carry their own cross signifying that they were a sinner. And you remember the story when Jesus goes outside of Jerusalem and they put that cross cross on him he falls under the weight of it because he was not a sinner he had never sinned and so when they said you have to carry the the sin of mankind and show that you are guilty Christ was not guilty of any sin so Simon the Cyrene was picked and they went to Golgotha they stood on Golgotha, they took Jesus' hands and they, they, they nailed them into the cross member and they took ropes and, and tied them around his arms. They put the centerpiece there and they attached the cross member to the centerpiece and they dropped that in a hole over three feet deep and they literally say that every bone in Jesus' body was dislocated. And he hangs there. And he hangs there for hours. And he hangs there and he becomes, the Bible says, at about noon, sin for us. He who knew no sin, he who had never said a curse word, he who had never had a vile thought, he who had never said a bad thing or thought a bad thought or done a bad act, he was there on the cross and the sky goes The sun stops shining. The moon does not give any reflective light. Jesus hangs there. And for the first and only time in all of history, God has turned His back on Jesus Christ. And He turned His back because of our sin. And He hangs there. They light fires around him so they could see. This is very uncommon. It does not get pitch black dark in the middle of the day anywhere in the world. And so they light fires so they can see. And Jesus is hanging there and the fires are lit and the guards are there and he cries out to God and they take a sponge and they fill it with vinegar and they bring it to his mouth. When he cries out, I thirst. And people say they brought vinegar to be offensive to him. No, they brought vinegar because it was a sedative in that day that they would use. And he tasted it and he spit it out because he could not have sedative. He had to endure full payment for the sin of mankind. And he hangs there. As we pick up our text this evening, the event that has has, has uh, boy been, been so at the forefront of human history is now being unfolded in verse number 46 and about the ninth hour he cried with a loud voice Eli Eli lama sabachthani that is to say my God my God why hast thou forsaken me and some of them that stood there when they heard that said he calleth for Elias and one ran with a sponge and filled it with vinegar and put it on a reed and gave it to him to drink and the rest said let's see whether I'm sorry let be let us see whether Elias will come to save him Jesus, when he had cried again with a loud voice, this is a really important word, yielded up the ghost. You say, why is that yielded? Because it's so important to understand that Jesus' life was not taken from him. He gave his life up. He yielded his life. He surrendered his life. Life. No man, the Bible says, taketh it from me. I give it of my, this is the Chris translation, of my own free will. He yielded up the ghost. Look at verse number 51. Now verse 51, I gotta tell you. Verse 51, I think is the most important verse in all the Bible. Now, I probably think it's the most important verse in all the Bible because I'm preaching it tonight. Come back on Tuesday night, I'll probably think that passage is the most important verse in all the Bible. I have a tendency to think the passage I'm preaching on in the moment is the most important verse in all the Bible. But verse number 51, I really believe, is one of the most important verses in all the Bible. Notice what it says. And behold. Now, he's just yielded up the ghost. He has just died. He has just died. He's dead. He's hanging on the cross. His body is limp. He is dead. There's no life left in Him. Not not an ounce. Nothing. He's not struggling. He is completely dead. He is, at this very moment, with the Father in heaven. He is, at this very moment, applying the blood that was spilled to the mercy seat that is in heaven. He's doing that at that very moment, the mercy seat that Moses, we'll talk a little bit about it, that Moses patterned the one that the Jews held so dearly to, That the, the one that Moses saw when he patterned it, the, the picture that Moses used to build the one that we saw on earth or the type that we saw on earth. And verse number 51, and behold, the veil of the temple was rent in twain from top to the bottom And the earth did quake, and the rocks rent, and the graves were opened, and many bodies of the saints which were asleep arose and came out of the graves after his resurrection and went into the holy city and appeared unto many. I want to preach tonight, and here's the title Why Don't You Come In? Why Don't You Come In? Father, a brief amount of time. We've had a beautiful day. We're so thankful for what you've done here at Calla. I pray you'd bless it in a wonderful way. Transform our lives, Lord, please, by the power of the word. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. You may be seated. As we come to verse number 50 and 51, 51 deals with really two aspects that we will not deal with because of their, they had immediate implications, but they really don't have a lot of lasting effect on us. And that is the, you see towards the end of verse 51, I just want to get this out early, that the earth did quake and the rocks rent, the rocks broke in half. We we understand that happened, but it didn't have a huge implication in our life that we see here. With that said, I'd like for us to look at what I believe this very important passage and, and what the author's intent was in writing this. This Matthew penned to this passage of Scripture. And I want you to notice in verse number 51, the veil in the temple. If you were a note taker, you could write the veil. I want you to notice the veil and its purpose. Within the temple... There were different dimensions, and Solomon's temple and Herod's temple in Jesus' day, he would have been in Herod's temple. Solomon's temple had been destroyed, and, and a new temple had been built, and, and we read about that in the Minor Prophets, and, and a new temple would have been built, and then Herod did several updates to it, so it was commonly referred, referred to at that day as Herod's temple. At the west end of Herod's temple was the holy place inside the temple. The holy place was 60 feet from the door and a beautiful veil separated it and it marked off the holy of holies and often called the most holy place. This veil created a room that was a cube and inside this cube you would have seen angels that would have been covered in gold and cedar wood that was covered in gold and the floor, the the planks were covered in gold. It was beautiful in every way. The Ark of the Covenant was in there. And the Holy of Holies in that day was the abode of God. It is where God met with mankind. It's where you would read about in the Old Testament that the priest could go once a year and offer sacrifice for the sin of mankind. He could not go twice a year, he could not go three times a year. He could go once a year and offer sin for the, or sacrifice for the sin of mankind. When the priest would go into the Holy of Holies, This abode of God where man once a year would meet with God and offer sacrifice. The priest would go in and they would sew or clip a bell onto the bottom of his robe. And then they would put a rope around his ankle. Because if he went in there and he was unholy, if his his life was not right with God when he went into the Holy of Holies in the Old Testament, God would kill him when he went in. And so they would sit outside the Holy of Holies with the rope, and they would want to hear the bell jingling. And if they didn't hear the bell jingling for a while, they would literally pull him out from the Holy of Holies because he had went in contaminated with his heart not right with God. It was a very, very special place. It was a very scary place insofar as your heart had to be right if you were the priest that was going to go in there every single year. And I just want to say this. I'm glad I was never a priest in that day because I probably would have been pulled out by the ankle at some point. It was a difficult, difficult place. And so the veil is there. We're told that the veil was six feet high and about 60 feet long. There's some debate on how big it is, but six feet high by about uh, uh, 60 feet long. What What there's not a lot of debate about is the thickness. The thickness of the veil was four inches thick. There were... It was made up of uh, braids that were braided, 72 braids, 24 uh, braids connecting to one another. And they say that the veil was so strong that you could put four plow horses on any of the corners, and they would not be able to tear that veil in two. So you could put four what we would call Clydesdales or large plow horses. They could be attached to the veil on any of the corners. They could pull with all of their horsepower, and they would not be able to tear the veil in half. It was a very, very strong, strong curtain that separated man from God. Hebrews chapter 9, who deals with the sacrifice and uh, the holy of holies and really deals with the implications of Jesus Christ into Judaism. Hebrews chapter 9, verse number 7 says, But unto the second went the high priest alone once every year, not without blood, which he offered for himself and for the errors of the people. So you have this, this veil, and the whole purpose of the veil is to separate, and this is so important, is to separate the people from God that's the whole purpose of it it's to separate the people from God in life we live today with this mission and that is to tell people how they can have a relationship with God the purpose of the veil was to tell you you can't get close to God you can't come close to God it's it's a different dynamic This is what the veil was saying. Saying, God lives here, you stay out there. You're not welcome in here. This is the abode of God. And you're not welcome in the abode of God. Not at all. Not at all. Reminds me of a time I went to a baseball game. Anybody a baseball fan in the room? Any baseball fans? I hate baseball. (laughs) I do. I hate baseball. I, I don't get it. I don't understand it it takes forever. I mean, literally, it's like watching paint dry to me. Anybody agree with me on that point? I've been to a lot of baseball games and I count how long it takes the pitcher to pitch. The average pitcher, there's 37 seconds between every pitch. It's just, and then it's one pitch and nothing happens. He pitches and they just stare at the ball. It's like swing, man, swing. And they're like, well, it wasn't Good pitch. Well, who cares? Just do something. We're in the stands. We paid to come here. Come on. Well, a friend of mine, his son plays for the or son-in-law plays for the San Francisco Giants. I went to one baseball game in the last two years. You say how it was it? I was bored out of my mind. I oh, I went to two this year. I, I my wife just reminded me of another horrific event and went to another baseball game. I just, I don't enjoy baseball. Jordan likes baseball. Jordan played baseball. You're a catcher, right? Jordan He looks like a catcher, doesn't he? He's got that catcher build. I'm not a fan of baseball. But when I went to a baseball game, like, about four years ago, I, I wanted to get down into the special section just to see what it was like. You know that section where people who like baseball pay extra to get close? Like like in the front row, how many of you know what I'm talking about? Like people's like, oh, those are great seats. To me, it's a waste of time, but because you're farther away from your car, you got to walk up more stairs. There's nothing about that that I enjoy. I would just rather stay home and watch it on. I wouldn't rather watch it on TV. I'd rather sleep through it at home on the couch. Uh, but I wanted to get down there. I wanted to get down there because it was like they were doing like batting practice and I wanted to get down there so I could get some of the home run balls because I thought pushing over little kids and getting a ball might be fun or something. I don't know. I just wanted to see what it was like. And when I went there to get a ball, I went to go down there. There was this nice, gracious little lady who was standing there in front of the stairway. And I said, hey, I'd like to go down there. She goes, well, let me see your ticket right on here's my ticket I didn't want her to think I just jumped the fence to get into the ballpark like here you go she goes oh you're not qualified like what she goes your ticket does not get you in there I said what do you mean my ticket doesn't get me in there I'm not asking my ticket to take me in there I'm just asking you to move so I can walk there on my own she goes no you got to buy a special ticket to get in here I'm like people pay extra for this She goes, Yeah. I'm like, I don't want to, I just want to go in there. So we had a nice conversation. She laughed, I laughed, but I was not allowed in. That lady was a veil to me getting a home run ball. She would not allow me in. She would not allow me into the place where I wanted to go. The purpose of the veil is to keep people, or was to keep people, from having access to God. That's its purpose, that's its divine purpose. But as we come to Matthew chapter 27, verse number 51, we see that as we come here, behold, the veil of the temple was rent in twain from top to bottom. From top to bottom. That's a really key ingredient here. Why? Because you couldn't take a ladder and stand up on six feet and get a bunch of dudes and break it from top to bottom. The whole point of the author including the way in which the veil was rent is to help us to understand this fundamental reality that the moment Jesus died and the blood of Jesus Christ was spilled on the mercy seat in heaven and was offered there and man's sin is now eradicated. God has now taken the veil that is in the temple, the veil that separated man from God Now think about that. You couldn't get to God. Brian, come here. Let me borrow you for a second. You're going to be the veil. All right. Come closer. Yeah, place you fall over. All right. Don't fall. All right. You're engaged now. I just found that out tonight. You didn't tell me. For three months. Brian is the veil. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) Let's say that beautiful pulpit's what I want. Okay. I want to get by. But I can't get by. I want to move. I can't get by. No matter where I go. B- but I want back there. I, n- I need back there. I like to see the pulpit. I would like to preach off the pulpit. I <laughs> like to touch it. N- I need back there. Not even a little bit. He's the veil. Now notice him. For 4,000 years. Every time man wanted to have direct access to God, he ran into the veil. If man tried to circumvent the veil, there was no way to get there. The veil kept man from God for 4,000 years Judaism was the religion that brought you the closest to God but they could not get close to God because the veil was still there the veil was the thing that kept man from God and then God through the concourse of history you can see that thanks God through the concourse of history had determined by Jesus Christ alone would man's sin truly be forgiven Old Testament New Testament Old Covenant New Covenant the sin of mankind would be washed away by the blood of Jesus Christ alone and as he hangs there on the cross And he's hanging there And he cries out My God, my God Why have you forsaken me? Because God For the first time in human history Has turned his back on Jesus Christ And God has looked down And said He is sin for mankind He did not Jesus did not take on your sin He became your sin And he suffered In anguish and pain and heartbreak and all of your bitterness was put on Jesus Christ and all of your lust was put on Jesus Christ, and all of my covetousness was put on Jesus Christ, and all of my greed was put on Jesus Christ, and all of your your animosity was put on Jesus Christ, and all of your violence was put on Jesus Christ, and your violence, and the person next to you, and your neighbor down the street, and the people in the other part of the world, and the sin of all mankind was laid on Jesus Christ and he hangs there and the earth is dark and he suffers and now he cries out it is finished and when he cries out it is finished he yields up the ghost, and there he dies. The moment he dies, he takes blood and he ascends to the Father. Their relationship is about to be restored. Christ placed blood on the mercy seat. How this happened is a mystery to everyone, but he places blood on the mercy seat. The sin sacrifice of mankind is now taken care of by Jesus Christ. As soon as that happened, God is up in heaven. Come here, Brian. Come here, come here, come here, come here, quick, 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 quick. God is up in heaven, and as soon as God offers, or Jesus offers that sacrifice of, the Bible says, of himself not of a bull, not of a goat, not of a, pig, not, not of a dove, not of anything, but the sacrifice of himself. God, who had kept man from himself through the veil that is in the temple, God reaches down with his finger and he tears the veil from top to bottom. And God now says, You who were separated from me. You're no longer separated from me. Now you have direct access to me. You don't need to stand off being stiff-armed from the throne of God. Now you're welcomed into the throne of God. You don't need to stand in some other part letting somebody else suffer or, or pray for your sin or or, or letting somebody else uh, uh, offer sacrifice for your sin. Now you, for the first time in human history, can come boldly to the throne of grace and obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. No, 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 get it. For 4,000 years, you couldn't come close to Jesus Christ, but the moment Christ died and offered sacrifice and the veil was torn in top to bottom, Jesus is now saying, not only can you come in, but won't you come in. Not only you have the availability, I want you, now he's saying, I want you to take the opportunity. Now you can come to God of your own free will powerfully, boldly, And obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Uh, For 4,000 years, Old Testament saints, Elijah, Abraham, Noah, Moses, you name them, they got no idea what this is like. They have no idea. People say, oh, I'd like to have the faith of Abraham. Let me tell you, in this age in which we live, where we can come boldly to the throne of grace, and let me tell you, Abraham is a stalwart. He's a hero of the faith, no doubt about it. But can I tell you this without a doubt, that you can have much, a much greater relationship with God? Well, how can I have a greater relationship with God than Abraham? I mean, come on, he's the Genesis 12. He's the patriarch of the nation of Israel. He's the one that's closest to God. You know why? Why? veil's been torn you, you know why there's nothing now that separates you from God there's nothing now that says oh you can't come close to God I was witnessing to a Muslim friend um, I had uh, I had knocked on his door and um if you if pastor's been to my office many times and if you go to my office you look out my window you see some apartments not far from the, across the canyon it's about three miles away and and a couple of the 9-11 hijackers lived there it was really instrumental in us starting our church where we did and a couple of the 9-11 hijackers lived there and and there was a church in the area a baptist church in the area at the time and and i asked them, i said in the five years you guys have been here have you ever knocked on these doors and invited people to come to church they said no never have and it's kind of personal with me that we always go there and try to witness to folks, and and um, go there about three or four times a year. And when it was just, it was just in this cycle. I wasn't thinking; I was just going through the neighborhood, and and um, and just and we weren't really even knocking on doors. It just so happened that I met this guy, and. <clears throat> We began to talk, and he began to come to church, come to find out uh, he was an NIT from Afghanistan, or from Kyrgyzstan, and, and he had a coworker who was an uh, a independent Baptist lay preacher in uh, one of the southeastern states, I think Georgia, and, and they had been talking back and forth, and the guy started coming to our church, and I began to witness to him, and he said, he said this, he goes, Chris, are you telling me that you can talk directly to God. And I said, "Oh yeah." He said, "No." I said, "Oh yeah." He said, "I could never accept that you could talk, talk directly to God." I called him by name and I said, "It's not because of me. It is because of the sacrifice of Jesus Christ with Christ when He died on the cross for our sin." The Bible's pretty clear on this as to what it means. It means there's no symbolism about it. The Bible says in the book of Ephesians, chapter 3, verse number 12, talking about Jesus, in whom we have boldness and access with confidence by the faith of Him. We have access, we have confidence. By the faith of Him. Ephesians says elsewhere, or it says elsewhere in Ephesians chapter 2, verse number 18, For through Him we have access by one Spirit unto the Father. Through Jesus. Who say, oh, Jesus is great. No, no, you know why we have access. It's not because of the kindness of Jesus Christ. It's not because the miracles of Jesus Christ. It's not because of the great words of Jesus Christ that we have access. Though all of those things are so vitally important to all of our lives. The reason we have access to the Father, the reason we have boldness, is because of the sacrifice of Jesus Christ when he died on Calvary's cross for the sin of mankind. That's why we have access. That's why we have boldness. That's why we can come to him in confidence. It's because of the access of Jesus Christ or that we gained when Jesus Christ died for the sin of mankind. Probably the, 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 the primary verse about this is Hebrews chapter four, verses 15 and 16, where the scripture says, for we have not a high priest which cannot be touched with the feelings of our infirmities, but was in all points tempted like as we are, yet without sin. Let us therefore come boldly unto the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. The word boldly is an idea that expresses union, one of connection. Boldly. I've got two daughters, Judith and Natalie. And when they want something from me, they're not timid about asking. They are very bold about asking. You know why they're very bold about asking? Because we have union. I'm their dad. They don't have the same boldness if they were hanging around Pastor King. They just don't have the same boldness. Vanderlay is bold when he talks to his father about stuff. Vanderlay's bold with me too. I don't know why that is. Maybe he just, he asks everybody and he has no reserves. I don't know. Maybe that's the case. But he has, bold, he has boldness with his father. You have boldness with people you're connected to. My wife will ask for stuff. Now she doesn't even ask. Last night she went to the store without me. She went with Angela, which is a code word for Chris, you're about to lose money. And Debbie didn't say, hey, I'm thinking about getting new shoes. She said, do these shoes look nice? They look nice. I could lie and say no. I could and say no. The moment that I said yes, I knew. I didn't know how much the shoes were, but I knew we were buying them. Well, we weren't buying them. She was buying them because boldly she knew that we had union. Here's what the Bible says about God. Remember Brian being up here? For four thousand years, you wanted to come to God. No, and when you did, when the high priest did come to God, here's how he came. Now you got to remember, when Paul, I think Paul wrote Hebrews. So if, if you think differently, that's fine. Um, but the author of Hebrews in the Old Testament, when the high priest came, he came very timidly. He he spent a quality amount of time fasting in prayer searching his heart for any sin weeks of fasting and prayer possibly he would have served for a 30 day period so it would have been probably about a 30 day period maybe even 29 to 30 days the whole entire 30 day period he would have fasted and prayed before he would have went into the holy of holies and he came in and he came in super timidly super humbly very reserved They would have sacrificed the, it would have been a red red heifer that they would have sacrificed. They would have put the blood into a basin that would be held. The bell would have been on his robe. His ankle would have had a ceremonial rope tied around his ankle. And he would have walked from the holy place and approached the most holy place where the veil was. And there would have been men who would have pulled it back, because they say it said it weighed in the thousands of pounds, and they would have pulled it back, and he would have very timidly walked in and very timidly have been praying. Incense would have been burning in other parts of the temple, and he would have walked over to the altar. And offered a sacrifice and prayed and very timidly and reverently dismissed himself out of the most holy place. He would have never approached it boldly. But because Jesus the great high priest offered one sacrifice for the sin of mankind. Hebrews says, forever. No more sacrifices needed. No more payment for sin can be offered. You can't, you can't do enough penance to get your way to heaven. You can't do enough sacrifice to merit favor with God. That was a one-time deal done by Jesus Christ on the cross of Calvary. And when He did, the veil was torn in top to bottom. And now Jesus goes from saying, or the Scripture goes from saying, you better walk in timidly and humbly to now you can walk in boldly. Not disrespectfully but boldly. It's a different world. So what does that mean? As I thought of the application, and we're at a five-year Bible conference, and what does that mean for us? Bible says in Hebrews chapter 10, verse number 19, having therefore, brethren, boldness to enter into the holiest by the blood of Jesus Christ, by a new and living way, which he hath consecrated for us through the veil, that is to say, his flesh, having a high priest over the house of God, let us draw near to God with a true heart and full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled from an evil, evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water, let us hold fast the profession of our faith without wavering, for he is faithful, that. Promised. Here's a couple of the things that it means by way of application as we draw the idea of the message to a close. For you personally, Hebrews chapter 10, verse 23, let us hold fast the profession of our faith without wavering, for he is faithful that promised. Because the veil of the temple is torn in two from top to bottom, listen, stop vacillating in your walk with God. I'll read it again just to help you get the idea. Hold fast the profession of our faith without wavering. If you're saved, you're saved. Did you hear me? If you're saved, you're saved. Here's what Satan wants to tell you. Is that the sacrifice of Jesus Christ was good, but your sin is really bad, and you gotta keep coming to him over and over and over again, or you're not good enough for God, or God won't accept you. No, no. Stop all of that. The sacrifice of Jesus Christ completely washes away all your sin. You say, Well, well, how many of my sins? Every single one of them. Well, Pastor, you don't know what I did. I don't know what you did, but I know that on the cross of Jesus Christ. Every Every one of your sins was taken care of by the blood of Jesus Christ, and your sin is not greater than the blood of Jesus Christ, your sin is not greater than the grace of God, the grace of Jesus Christ cleanses us all from all sin, and so he says this, just stop, stop wavering, it's it's like that Bob Newhart bit that he did back in the 80s, where the lady comes to him and says, I got an issue, and she starts telling him uh, the issue, and about halfway through, he says, I've got two words for you, write them down, and she goes, okay, what is it stop it what stop it but you don't know stop it now I know that if you're a professional psychologist that might not be what you say but that really is what you think just stop being that way (sighs) men will come to me and they say my wife's mad at me why is your wife mad at you well because so you're acting like a child in your house well yeah but no, no, no no yeah but was an animal that got killed several years ago it's extinct stop it he says, hold fast. Hold on. Hold on to your faith. How? Here's what the word, Hebrews 10, 23, without wavering. There's an old song in the 30s that was, it was sung. song was, Is you is or is you ain't my baby? There's a lot of Christians who think, is you is or is you ain't my savior. If you're saved, he's your savior. Stop doubting it. Stop questioning it. Stop going back and forth. You, you say, well, Pastor, you don't know my past. I don't need to. Nobody needs to. It's under the blood of Jesus Christ. It's washed clean. You need to remember that in Christ, you are his and his alone. <sighs> why, why don't you just come in? See, the veil is like that mean, nasty old lady that wouldn't let me get a home run ball without a ticket. But here's what Jesus is He says the doors are wide open, the doors are wide open. Man, we sang song after song after song about the sacrifice of Jesus Christ, the forgiveness of sin, the joy of Christ. The whole point of meeting together for church on Sunday is to remind us to hold fast the profession of our faith without wavering, for he is faithful, that promise. If you don't believe me, look at verse number 24 of Hebrews chapter 10. Let us consider one another to provoke into love and good works. Not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as the manner of some is, but exhorting one another, and so much the more as you see the day approaching. No, I'm not going to get into a law of hermeneutics. Your pastor can teach you that, or probably will at some point. But verse 23, 24, 25, and 26 go together. They're part of what is called a paragraph, and the paragraph is connected. So hold fast the profession of your faith without wavering, and provoke one another to love and good works. And don't stop going to church because at church we're going to be encouraged to what? Hold fast the profession of our faith without wavering and keep serving God and doing good works. You say, no, 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 really, Pastor, what are you saying? Okay, keep going to church. Why do I keep going to church? Because I need to be reminded to hold fast the profession of my faith without wavering because if you're like me, chances are by about Tuesday in the normal week you start to waver a little bit and the scripture says stop wavering and stay faithful. Well, how am I going to be reminded to stay faithful? By keep going going and keep doing the right thing. <sighs> A couple illustrations and we'll probably be done. I say probably because something else good might come. <sighs> you never know. I love to do I love to work out. I love to do crossfit. I really like to lift weights. Pastor and I will work out early tomorrow morning about 9:30. <sighs> It's early for me. He does his 6 a.m. workouts. What man in his right mind will wake up early like that to go work out? No man in his right mind should ever do that. He's not in his right mind. We'll be there at 0600 working out. But when I go to CrossFit, you know what I'm reminded of? Is that I better eat well the rest of the day. Because if I don't eat well, the next day when I go and I work out, I'm not going to do very well, and I'm going to want to vomit the whole time I'm there. And so I will judge what I'm going to eat based on how hard I think the next day's workout's going to be. So if we're going to do something like, oh, run five miles as fast as you can, I don't care about that. I'm eating anything I want to eat. But if we're going to the next day do like one rep max of deadlift or back squat or clean and jerk or something that real men do. (laughs) You guys didn't get my joke there. I'm sorry. (laughs) That was was just a joke to people who run for fitness. I I just don't do that. I just don't do that. You say, why is that? I'm old. And if somebody breaks into my house, I'm not taking them for a jog. I just want to throw them on the ground and sit on them until the cops get there. But if we're going to lift heavy, you know what I'm reminded to do? Eat well. You know what church reminds me to do? Live well. People say, I'm a Christian, I just don't go to church. Well, then you're not a very good Christian because you can't be a very good Christian if you don't go to church. Why? Because church is where we're reminded that Christ is coming again and we're to hold fast the profession of our faith without wavering and provoke one another to love and good works. It's application number one. The veil is torn. I can come boldly, and as I come boldly, I'm reminded to do good works. I'm reminded to, to, to hold fast the profession of my faith without wavering. I'm reminded to serve God with a passion and a fury because he's coming again, and I'm reminded of that, and the veil is torn, and Jesus is saying, come on in, come to the throne room of grace, find encouragement, find help. This is the place that you find it. I've been on vacation. I went to Maine. Maine. It's cold in Maine. Church is different in Maine. Good churches are very different. Anybody from Maine in here? People in Maine don't smile in church. They don't laugh in church. They don't say amen in church. It's like Maine and Michigan. They're, they're just different. Just different. It's just different. Not bad. We went to a great church last Sunday night. It was just different. But I'll tell you what, after being on vacation and coming to Huicalla this morning, I was just a little bit, my spirit was a little bit off. And the pastor stood up and started singing. I was enlivened. My spirit was stirred. Then we had a long break. My spirit wasn't into that. My spirit just wanted to keep hearing him sing. And that's saying something to ever want to hear a preacher sing. He's got a good voice. I just just don't normally think of that. And my spirit was enlivened and provoked. And then tonight as we sing, it was provoked. And the specialist sung, and I'm provoked to what? good works and what does that cause me to do hold fast the profession of my faith and what does that cause me to do I want to run to the throne room of grace I want to run to the lord to seek the lord because the veil is torn and i can come in a lot of times people will come to me pastor and they'll say hey pastor Chadwick, can we talk and i'll say yeah let we can talk we can talk whenever we want to yeah yeah let's let's do that and we'll talk for 15 20 30 minutes and about halfway through that conversation i've realized the big issue is they just need to get alone with jesus and start talking to him. I don't mind helping, I don't mind talking, but can I be super honest with you? Hui Huicalla faces five more years of ministry than five years after that, and five years after that, and five years after that. The way that Huicalla moves forward, the way that Huicalla moves forward is the same way that you move forward is by going boldly into the throne of grace and finding mercy and finding grace to help In time of need Because you are going to need Christ this week You are going to need Christ next week You are going to need Christ every single day of your life Until he returns and takes us to heaven And then you'll be with him And the only way to have that Is because the veil is torn And we can come into the throne room of grace And we can obtain mercy And we can find courage And we can be helped And we can be strengthened Because God in his great providence And love and sovereignty Sovereignty tore the veil apart so that man could come boldly to the throne of grace. So here's the question because every message that I preach ends with a question Are you taking advantage of it? Theologically, Pastor, we know now that we can go to the throne of grace. But theology moves from the theological to what theologians call, what we call practical theology. There's one thing that we know, and there's one way that we live. And how we live is our practical theology. And I have found that a lot of people theologically understand the veil is torn, but practically they act like it's still there. And they don't go. To the Lord. And they don't seek help. And they don't seek the encouragement of the Lord. Can I get in? Oh no. Yeah you can get in. And not only can you get in. He is. This is what Christ says in Revelation chapter 3 verse number 20. That he's knocking. And asking. For you to let him in. That he may sup with you and you with him, he says it this way, I stand at the door of your heart, the door, and knock. And if any man will uh, open, I will come into him and sup with him, and he with me. What is he saying? The veil is torn. I want to come to you. So the question is not just simply, is the veil torn? The question is, what are you doing with a torn veil? Are you entering in? The door is open. Are you having access? Do you have times of private worship every day in your life? Are you taking your burdens to the Lord? Are you yielding yourself to Christ? Are you allowing him to speak to you? See, Bible conferences are no good if all we do is get knowledge. They don't do anything until the application causes us to draw closer to Christ every single day of our life. So tomorrow when you're tempted, you can go directly to the throne. On Tuesday when you're like, I'm tired and angry, you can go directly to the throne. When the stress of life, and we all have it, nobody's ever minimizing that around here, and we all have that stress, we can go directly to the throne that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. The greatest grace was the grace of salvation. If you don't know Christ, we encourage you to accept him as your Savior tonight. But then, if you're a Christian tonight, if you've not been taking advantage of the veil, I'm going to call you tonight. I'm going to ask you to do, I'm going to call on you tonight to do exactly this. And that's to repent of not using God as the source of strength that he wants to be used as. And then to commit to start going to the Lord every day because the veil is torn. And this price that was paid for you to have access to God is the blood of Jesus Christ.